All right, everybody, we will go ahead and get started. Uh, it is, according to my clock, 9.01. This is um, Spiritual Disciplines, so if you're in the wrong place, please don't leave because we wouldn't have anybody here. Um, but uh, the, uh, my name is Cody Montgomery. I think I've met most of you, uh, serve as one of the elders here. And today's Spiritual Discipline is Silence and Solitude. There was a great temptation I was talking to James about just coming in and talk to Josh too about let's just be quiet and just just sit here for a little bit um, but uh, silence and solitude is this something that everyone has heard of like within Christian practice is this a normal thing or is this kind of something brand new to you and that's okay if it is generally yeah yeah yep well hopefully uh, today can be helpful in just providing some context some ideas really trying to get really practical uh, we're going to set the stage with some teaching both with what is kind of the norm within Christian evangelicalism when it comes to silence and solitude currently. Uh, trying to recapture some of the things that maybe have gone astray. Um, and so we'll speak into some of that. If I hit on some uh, difficult things that you disagree with, that's okay. Uh, I'm more than happy to have some conversation with you. Um, I'm just trying to set the stage to make a, an engaging conversation. So, yep, handouts in the back here. Silence and solitude. So please come in silently. I'll pray. And then we will we'll jump right in. Let me pray. Father, we do come to you thankful this morning. Lord, we thank you uh, for your new mercies, for waking us, for sustaining us through the night. Lord, we thank you that we get to come and be able to gather as a church, Lord. We thank you that this is, this is something that we, this privilege we enjoy here in this, this time. Uh, Lord, we often take for granted, Lord. Um, I know I do. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for these brothers and sisters. Thank you for the ability to come, to gather around your word, to discuss around topics that would be helpful for our Christian life. And we do pray to that end that this would be helpful, Lord, that you would encourage us, that by your spirit you would help us to great, uh, greater understand what being silent uh, and, and being alone in solitude, how that might be helpful for us in our Christian walk. So, God, would you help us uh, not just to learn individually, but collectively as a group to engage? I give us time to you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, silence and solitude. I don't know if you heard, uh, and you may have heard this. There, there was a study, a psychological study in Virginia. Um, I think it was in the last couple of years where these, these researchers wanted to find out if we brought a bunch of people in and said, we're going to have you sit alone in silence, solitude, take away all your technology, anything you can do, any reading materials, and you're gonna sit there in a room by yourself in a chair for 10 to 20 minutes, what would happen? I'm sure we have some ideas of what would happen, how many of us are like already anxieties <laughs> rising in us. And interestingly enough, they didn't just stop there with this study. They said, okay, what you, you can't get out of your chair, you have to sit there, you just have to think, you know, think happy thoughts is what they kind of gave instruction for. And then they actually said, there's this button here, and if you press it, you get an electrical shock. And first, go ahead and feel it as a practice and test it. And they, every, every person pressed it and tested it, and they said, would you actually like pay not to have that done to you? And every person said, yes. We would pay not to have this electrical shock done to us. And they said, okay, well, we're gonna leave the room. You have 10 to 20 minutes, no technology, all on your own, but you can press that button if you'd like and to receive an electrical shock. It's totally up to you. And then they left. What do you think happened? Yeah, interestingly enough, 
and this is, this is uh, a condemnation on men. <laughs> 75% of the men chose to press the button to receive the electrical shock during that 10 to 20 minutes and not just sit there. Uh, 25% of the ladies chose to press that button. Isn't that interesting? Over half uh, confessed to trying to cheat. They're like, we're, we're trying, looking in our pockets. We're trying to find something that like, I could do to fidget with, to do something, that rather than sit with my thoughts alone in silence and solitude. The, uh, one of the researchers concluded uh, with this statement, it may be that our minds are not designed to withdraw from the environment, to withdraw uh, from the people around us, and to focus inwards. So maybe that's the design, that we're not meant to actually withdraw from people and focus inwards. And as a Christian, I would argue that apart from a, a new heart in Christ, uh, looking inward either leads to depression or anxiety. When I look inside and I see what's going on in my heart, if I get that view, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm either depressed or I'm anxious, and I'm going to do anything I can to numb or distract myself from that which I've seen inside myself. So to me, that, that study actually makes perfect sense. We don't want to look inside because when we do, that's upsetting. That's troubling. We want to distract ourselves from those types of thoughts, those types of, of um, things that we see. But uh, this is not anything new just for... Uh, for it's not just society in general it's it's Christianity as Christians this is nothing new to us ever since the fall of Adam we have had this problem we've had this problem of pollution of sin in our lives and every time we look inside there is a certain degree of discomfort of unsettledness when we see what is in us and so that is that is nothing new for us but with this discipline that we're talking about silence and solitude it seems that the world has kind of seeped into the broader evangelical Christianity movement, if you will, when it comes to silence and solitude. So what is the current state? As I mentioned, we're going to tackle some, uh, some critiques of the current state of silence and solitude within the broader Christian movement. And, and you've probably read some books, especially recently, uh, how Christianity in general is kind of seated within this therapeutic age, right? Has anyone heard this before? Heard this argument? Yep. So this idea that feelings rule over thoughts and beliefs and commitments and desires and, and commi or commitments and actions, that feelings, how you feel is who you are, right? It's the idiom of our age, how you feel is who you are. You hear things like, uh, bring your authentic self to this. Again, another idiom of the age, of a therapeutic age. Now, there's a, um, if, you, if you know just kind of traditional uh, church movement, seeker-friendly movement has been out there for churches. We're going to draw people in and kind of use that therapeutic uh, idiom to say, like, we want to tantalize your senses. We want to draw you in with something that's attractional, that's going to get you in, and then we're going to uh, uh, be able to, every Sunday, have to redo that. We have to meet you at, and give you a great experience, something that raises your affections and your feelings, and that be, has become kind of what Christianity in, in many churches is about. Well, in this, uh, in this silence and solitude, you'll, you're, you'll also see a lot of influences from, uh, from the world. So specifically, Eastern mystic pra practices that I just want to call out from the, from the forefront what you'll run into. Forms of, of meditation. So here's a definition from psychological, uh, psychology today. It defines it as a mental exercise that trains attention and awareness with the purpose of often curbing reactivity to one's negative thoughts and feelings. 
Again, the idea, I want to avoid at all costs what I'm seeing inside myself, what's rising to the surface. Anybody heard of mindfulness? Yep, mindfulness. Defined as a mental state achieved by focusing one's awareness on the present moment while calmly acknowledging and accepting one's feelings, thoughts, and bodily sensations. Again, this idea that moment to moment, I can, I can get rid of this anxiety that I have in my life by just being present, being present in the moment, focusing my whole self in this moment and trying to achieve this, this life without this, this anxiety that grips us. Anyone heard of listening prayer? Listening prayer, this may be a new term, listening prayer. This is often in the context of groups, but where everyone sits in silence. It's not always in, in groups, it's also just when someone's in solitude. They sit in silence, and, and what you're doing is you're listening for a word from the Lord, something new, a new revelation from the Lord to you that often comes in thoughts or pictures, and, and these pictures are often directed at other people often, where when you're in a group, you're kind of listening for someone, and you hear, like, I hear, I hear a, a cow. And I, I've actually heard this. <laughs> and you said, I've heard a, a cow. And what, what I'm thinking about, of you, of you grazing in the grass of God's field. And you start dressing it with these, this Christianese language. And you're like, this is, this is a little weird. This is strange. I was just recently in a group through my work where this actually occurred. This is not outside the norm of, of, of kind of the mainstream evangelical um, uh, uh, movements that are out there. There's a, there's a popular book here, um, I don't know if you've heard of Invitation to Silence and Solitude, uh, Ruth Haley Barton. It's kind of the, maybe the most prominent book out there currently on this subject of silence and solitude, where they're combining, which we'll talk about in a second, silence and solitude, two separate disciplines into one. And this quote from this book uh, from Ruth Haley Barton, she says, if we know God deeply and experientially, which she's actually speaking about, specifically about silence and solitude, the evil one knows that his power in us will be unseated. The evil one will be unseated in, in us. Does that sound like a Christian thought to you? That as a believer, the evil one actually has power inside me. Again, this comes from an Eastern thought where if you, hear, if you listen to Buddhists or, or um, other religions, they're actually trying to rid themselves of that evil that's within them through good works, through meditation, through different things that they're trying to do this to achieve some sort of enlightenment, some sort of nirvana, some sort of whatever that is for that religion. Again, these thoughts have kind of been imported into, into uh, mainstream Christianity. So that's all the shots I'm going to take. But you can see how silence and solitude, to set the context, can have a very, we can have a very difficult time defining what it is and then how to do it. And so my hope for the rest of the time is that we're going to talk about the temptations that are out there for us, constraining factors that we want to consider, and then to, to define it and then to uh, practically pursue it together here today. So temptations within your handout, um, we're right above A. We haven't gotten there yet. We will, though. So disciplines uh, unconstrained by God's word can lead to deception. This is the first temptation for us unconstrained by God's word can lead to deception. And this is generally dis uh, disciplines. We'll talk specifically silence and solitude in a moment. An example of this, believing that the Lord normally speaks to us outside of his word in silence. To come to that, now we're not going to say that God does not speak outside, but we're going to say the normal pattern in someone's life is not that they receive new words from the Lord. In fact, if you hear something, we're told 
that we have to wear, go to, to to ratify it, to Scripture, right? right? So if someone else gives us a prophecy, something, we're actually supposed to go to Scripture to verify this is truth, right? But this is the normal pattern that someone might... Um, might understand. So if they're not constrained by God's word, going to God's word, understanding the parameters of God's word, you could think, wow, this is normal. Like this person gave me a word and I'm going to be, uh, you know, a, a prophet or I'm going to go do this. And, you know, there's no, no, no constraining there. Second one, disciplines unconstrained by God's word can lead to putting trust and value in methods over God. Putting trust in methods over God. An example of this, as we talk about mindfulness, okay, we, we want to get rid of anxiety in our life. Well, mindfulness will tell us that we just need to be present moment, moment by moment. And when that succeeds in the moment, when our anxiety goes away for that moment, where does our trust lie? It lies in that method. That's, that's what saved me. That's what got me here. Rather than going to God's word and God saying, cast your cares upon me, can mindfulness and being present in the moment have a helpful place? Absolutely. Absolutely. But again, the, the temptation is to put your trust into the, to the method over God himself. Specifically with silence and solitude, the temptation is without a sound framework of our identity in Christ, that we are, we are uh, sinners and sufferers and saints all at the same time, without that solid framework, what I have seen is that there's a temptation to kind of go morbidly in your introspection. When you're sitting there in silence and solitude, and all you see yourself is as sinner, 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 all you're going to be in there is just this, this spiral, this morbid introspection where you're dwelling on your shortcomings so much that you're not seeing Christ. You're not seeing the redemption that he has purchased for you and that who you are in Christ. And this obviously leading to depression, to other things down the line that could be um, detrimental. So there's, there's many others. Any, any other, uh, from you guys, any other... Um, things that you would toss out there as temptations, temptations. Yep. Pride and despair, you're kind of touching on it, but if you succeed in the discipline or it's going well, it's like, wow, I'm an amazing person. Or if it's not going well, it's like, ah, why can't I do this? But it's a very sort of inward focus of pride or despair as opposed to turning to Christ. Right, yeah. Yeah, that speaks even to the, to the pragmatism of our age, of how we want something to fix. And when we find that thing, that becomes just central in our lives, and it becomes kind of higher than, than Scripture or than God. Yeah, that's good. Okay, but the, we would all acknowledge, I think, in this room, like, the need for silence is real. I'm not saying that. Yeah, so I, I have four daughters at home. I'm just confessing there's not a lot of silence usually. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of noise going on, and I'm sure many of you can agree. With a busy place where we live, busy jobs, like silence is, is hard to get to. So we're not saying that, that doing that is, is bad. We wouldn't have a class on this. Um, but specifically, we're trying to regain a little bit of the practice that maybe has been lost or maybe it just isn't as prevalent within, within our circles. Uh, we think of uh, some of the Puritans uh, back in the day. You remember John, Jonathan Edwards would take walks in his backyard, and he would just walk into the woods you know, for a time just to be silent with the Lord. You know, David Brainerd, in his, uh, um, in his diary uh, going to the American missionaries, so much of the time was in silence and solitude with the Lord. Many other examples that we could go through, and many here I'm sure that we could talk about how we get away from it, and we will here in a little bit try to go into more detail. But let's look at biblical silence and solitude. And I'm clearly distinguishing biblical from just silence and solitude 
in general. At the top there, uh, point A, we're finally there. Um, biblical science of solitude constraining forces. We kind of hit on this a little bit with the temptations, but um, number one, God's word. God's word. I'm going to read Hebrews 4.12 for you. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This must be the priority for us in our pursuit of spiritually, uh, of any discipline, and specifically this one. As we heard the, the many uh, temptations and things that we can kind of get into or let creep into our practice, we have to have clear and focused biblical goals for why we're doing this. So my encouragement is to find our why, the reason why we're doing this, in Scripture. There's practical reasons, the noise, like I confessed <laughs> at my house, but why are we doing this? And we're going to go through those in a little bit. Secondly, God's spirit is a constraining factor. So if, if God's word is our light, then God's spirit is our guide. John 14, 26 through 27. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And here's the kind of the purpose statement, if you will, maybe of silence and solitude. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, the aim is the heart. The aim is the con central control system of our lives, where our thoughts and beliefs, where our feelings and affections, where our commitments and de desires and actions all flow from. This is, this is the aim of the spiritual disciplines. And who knows our hearts better than anyone? It's the one who actually lives in us, who actually knows uh, all about us, knows our very thoughts. So God's spirit is a constraining factor. And then finally, God's church. You know, often during times of silence and solitude, uh, things rise to the surface. Stuff comes out, stresses, joys, griefs, sorrows, pains, discouragements, uh, sin. Keep going down the line. These things tend to rise when we're sitting there focused, as I said, on, on our soul and how God can, can help us in that moment. And so take Romans twelve fifteen generally. We want to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I think it's a very healthy, very good thing to have that pattern of, of having silence and solitude. And when things come, bring those out into the light with other brothers and sisters. Talk through those things. Encourage them with the things that the Lord has shown you that are both joyful and good. But also take those things that are difficult and hard and ask for help to bear each other's burdens. So these are just a few constraining factors, again, to set the stage of what we're doing with biblical and, and, and purposeful silence and solitude. The aim is, is, our, is godliness. As we've been saying throughout all the disciplines, the purpose of all disciplines is for our godliness. And godliness is to be found in the word by his spirit in the context of community. So it brings us to the definitions. Right there, uh, uh, letter B. This is from Donald Whitney's book. Uh, that We've been kind of structuring a lot of these sessions around there are two, as I mentioned, two different silence and then solitude. So silence, would someone read that for me? Read silence. The voluntary and temporary abstention from speaking so that certain spiritual goals might be sought. Yep, thank you. Perfect. So this isn't forceful. This is, something, this is not something you have to do. If you don't do this practice, you're not in sin. This is not something that the scripture clearly lays out as a, as a must. 
It is something that is helpful. And it, all, it also is something that's temporary. And I think that's a good, good thing to remember that these are temporary moments that we take, maybe based on seasons of life and different things that are happening in our life, uh, to be able to get away to seek the Lord. Someone want to read Solitude for us? Now, some in, the, in here were like, yes, amen, right there. <laughs> get away. Others, you know, as we mentioned from that opening study, might be like, oh, no, I do not want to get away. I do not want to go by myself. But you'll notice silence and solitude is one of those disciplines that utilizes many other disciplines. It's not in and of itself. So when you go in silence and solitude, sitting there in a chair in a room that's dark and not being able to move, maybe that's helpful. But you could also take a Bible with you. You could also turn the light on. You can also pray. There's different things that you can do, other disciplines that you can incorporate in your silence and solitude that might help um, offer some, some structure and some, um, some context to do it. So Bible intake, prayer, meditation, journaling, all these things, there's other options too. Um, so with that, any questions so far before we jump into section C? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so the, what I was talking about with the listening prayer specifically is number one, often and most often devoid of, of scripture, devoid of um, what I mentioned, some of the constraining factors, even understanding of who we are in Christ, um, devoid of even a purpose of why we're doing it. So most of the time listening prayer is to hear something new from the Lord, to hear a new revelation, a new word, uh, which again, we said we always want to confirm with, with scripture. So absolutely, the way the Spirit most often um, works in those situations is that he, he takes Scripture and applies it to our hearts. And that's his communication to us on the normative pattern. So that's when we look at Hebrews 4.12, how it's, uh, the Word is living and active, and it discerns our heart, and it, it applies truths in our heart. So, so I, what I'm talking about is something that's devoid of, of more of a God-honoring Christ. When stuff come up, comes up in those times of silence and solitude, I think that's normal and good, and we take those to the Lord. And um, Does that make sense, the difference? that I, I hope it's not too, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that it, it is possible to, to, you know, talk about listening for it as bad and then have people respond by like, oh, okay, well, I can't really trust anything that right. brings to me. Yep. Which, you know, if you're mm-hmm. lining it up with Scripture, that's not true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Josh, you got some? Yeah, I think something else mm-hmm. that's really helpful is mm-hmm.
Yeah, no, that's super helpful. Yeah. Yeah, and hopefully as we kind of go through this, even fill out some of that a little bit more, again, setting that stage and that distinction maybe will get broader. Um, I would love to, to break up into, into groups here. I would love to be able to uh, have us come up with some ideas of what are some purposes, some reasons why um, Christians might seek the benefit of godliness through silence and solitude. What are reasons why you might go about seeking um, silence and solitude? It doesn't have to be specifically scripture, although it can be, but it can also be practical reasons of why this would be an important thing for a Christian to seek. Does that make sense? So I'd love to break up uh, small groups, no less than six or so, and just have a short discussion. We'll go five to seven minutes, and then I'd love to hear just a couple thoughts from that. So go ahead and organize yourself, if you will.
About two minutes, two minutes. All right, everybody, we'll bring it back in together. So to, uh, to keep this from, you know, long orations, um, I think it'd be most helpful for everyone who, who would like to have a pen out with their paper, flip it over if you want, as people toss out ideas and you scratch down, it would be helpful for you. Uh, if we had a whiteboard, I would do that and do something tech-wise, send it out to everyone, but I'm not that guy. Um, so uh, real quick, when, from each group, I'd love to hear just one or two things and just kind of a sentence or two on, on what that is uh, to clarify what are those, those purposes, reasons why a Christian would seek a bi biblical silence and solitude. So who would like to go first? Groups. Oh, yeah, nominated spokesperson as well. Yeah, yeah. okay. You said one, one reason was to like, hear directly from the Lord instead of the podcast and the sermons and even all the good, all the good preachers and all the good access that we have to the word, to the word, it's valuable to do it yourself. Um, and then we also said to find time to apply all of the good things that we've heard. Mm. It can be easy to sit in classes and sermons and listen to podcasts and constantly be consuming without applying. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Anyone else have that issue? <laughs> hear so much, so much, and you just don't sit down to think about what it is that you have. That's great. Really good. Yeah, Eric? One thing our group said was just sort of recalibrating who we are and who God is. It kind of ties into the um, letter I, regaining spiritual perspective. 
ourselves as controlling our lives and the busyness and the tasks and the jobs, that just time with the Lord, we regain the perspective of who we are the creature, he's the creator, we're the children, he's the father, he's our father, we don't control things. Yeah. Zero control. Amen. I think that is one thing. That's great. Yeah. Also just to listen and not speak as much was something that was brought up, to learn to not always be talking from the letter K there. Mm. That's great. Thank you. Who else? Got a lot of brain power in this room. What else did you see? What else did you come up with? Yes. So what you're saying is kind of the practical, uh, proactive approach of setting up the day in order to do it. Yeah, that's great. Anything else? Absolutely. Yeah, it gets back to also kind of what Eric said about controlling. You have so much control. It's almost a posture of open-handed, like, you're God, I'm not, type of thing. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Did anyone else who was over here? What a good God to know that we need that and to be able to provide us the ability to do that with his word. And yeah, that's good. Okay. Well, I mean, we could keep going on and on we could have that conversation a long time. Like, how do you do this? You know, how, how could we to, to this point set up, set up our day well? And hopefully at the end, we'll get to some practical ways of doing that. Um, if you look in section D, I know you guys were peeking ahead and that was kind of the purpose to give some fodder to that discussion. Um, you'll see some of the boldened verses. I would love for some people to look those verses up that are bold um, next to the letters. But again, every reason does not have to be necessarily found in a verse. So I just want to be clear, it can be found in the context of our life, like I am feeling stressed and overwhelmed and tired, or my schedule has just been nonstop. That could be the thing that goes, okay, I need to step away. I need some time away. Um, But for reasons that are specifically uh, biblical uh, towards our godliness. So, uh, who has uh, Matthew fourteen twenty three? Once you have it, just go ahead and read it off. Yep. So there we have kind of the. The silence and solitude all in one with Jesus as the example. Again, he, he shows us, he does this multiple times throughout his ministry where for some reason the authors think it's important for us to know that he does this. Um, again, with that idea of, of um, submitting himself to the Father's will, of, of communing with the Lord for strength, for nourishment, uh, for all that he needs in, that, in his day. I think that's a great thing for us to, 
to pattern our life after. Um, I'll read, uh, so to lament uh, before the Lord, let her be there. Uh, Psalm 38, uh, verses 13 and 14. This is in the context of, of David having extreme pain, frustration, sorrow, grief in his life. If you read that, it's, it's one that consoles those that are depressed and, and don't see any hope in the near future. And he says, verse 13, But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and whose mouth are no rebukes. So often to, to lament in our sorrow and our grief is to sit in the Lord's presence after sharing all of our pain and sorrow and to just be with the Lord, um, to be comforted by the Lord. Uh, we look in uh, letter C to mourn with others, although silence and solitude. We look at Job 2 and we can think of uh, Job's friends coming. The first thing that they do is not run to him. What do they do? They stay away and they sit and they mourn of what has happened to their friend. So there's, there's definitely the, the mourning with others. Who has um, Habakkuk 2.1? Letter D. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Yep. So again, just a very direct understanding that, that Habakkuk's going to, with intention, go there to stand and to hear from the Lord. This is what he's going to do. There's intentionality before it, uh, before him. So to minimize distractions, to get away. There's many, uh, there's several things we could put there with D, but I think to minimize distractions, to get away so that we can actually be with the Lord, to pray to him, to hear from him is, is a very good thing to pattern our life after. So to me, I think that both components are, are helpful. So when we go back to this is one of those um, disciplines that can incorporate many other disciplines, including Bible intake. I'm going to sit there and naturally going to be thinking by taking God's word and ingesting it and mulling it over and thinking how it applies to my life. Um, also, just sitting in quiet, as we just read with David, he said his piece, but he's just now sitting in silence before the Lord. Um, so I think it's not a narrow definition. Uh, I think it's kind of more broad. Um, it can encapsulate many different experiences. Yeah, that's a good, good catch, though. Um, who has Habakkuk 2.20? Whoever just read Habakkuk 2.1? Yep. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Yep, there you go. To express worship to God. There is a sense of awe and reverence that we come before the Lord, that we are to be silent before him. You see... You know, Isaiah, woe is me. You have these, these different passages that express this, this posture towards the Lord. Uh, when you see him rightly, that there is uh, a reverential awe. And the great thing, I'll just side note on that, is, is kind of that fear sometimes can be a term that we say, like, oh, I don't want to fear God. Like, I don't, that's, he's scary to me. No, it's a, it's a reverential awe. It's actually in Christ makes us move towards him 
and, and more dependence and, and his posture towards us in the midst of that is one of love and of care and of a, a good shepherd uh, drawing near to his sheep. Okay, um, let's turn to, uh, let's all turn to Psalm 62 real quick. Look at uh, letter F to express faith in God, another purpose. Someone want to read Psalm 62, 1 through 6 for us? This idea of expressing faith in God in the midst of whatever's going on in our life, and especially in the midst of those difficult times. When, as he says here, how long will, will all of you attack a man to batter him, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence, when, when life is pressing against you, to be able to come before the Lord and silence my soul, even though I want to control, I want to figure out a way out of this, there's anxiety through the roof, I'm going to come before the Lord and say, you are God. You can control this. You can help. Please help. There's a, there's a silent posture, a reverential posture coming before the Lord in that sense to express our faith in him. Um, Lamentations, letter G. Who has that? I've got that one. Thank you. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when we lay on him. Yeah, so I think um, in view here, we could look at different things. Salvation in the sense of a, someone who does not know Christ, it is good to be silent, come to the Lord, to, to seek the salvation uh, uh, from the Lord. We can also seek the salvation of our friends from the Lord coming uh, as a good purpose. Uh, but also in our own lives, salvation from things that are happening, things that are, we want to be ripped away from, from sin entanglements, things that are, we're struggling with. We desire that, so we're going to come before the Lord to seek salvation from him, for he is the only one that can give it. He is the one. Not top ten ideas for anxiety, not whatever it may be. All those, those things might be helpful. That's not ultimately where our salvation lies. Uh, what about Mark six thirty one letter H? And he said to them, "Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while." Yeah. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Great. How many of y'all are tired? <laughs> yeah. I've noticed since coming to DC, this this place is like different. It's like nonstop and like. It, it's emotionally just draining. Come away. Rest. Be filled up. Be nourished. This isn't just, you know, go through all the difficulties, only be spiritually in that narrow sense, you know, filled up and satisfied. No, he actually cares that we actually 
take care of ourselves, that we actually step away and be refreshed. And we'll talk about practical ways potentially here in a, in a second. But um, I think it's good to call out that God does not just care about your soul. He also cares about your body. And we, we need to be of the same in our Christian walk. All right, next one, Luke 6, or sorry, uh, Luke 1, 20. Who has that? And then 63 to 64 on that same one. This whole um, picture of uh, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Gabriel comes and tells you're going to have a baby and he does not believe. And so so Gabriel says you will be mute. You will not be able to speak until the baby is born. And during this time, the way we frame it as, you know, to regain a spiritual perspective, specifically 64, you look at and immediately his mouth was opened. And the first thing he does is he spoke blessing to God. You go from disbelief or unbelief to blessing God. There's a change in perspective. Um, often, often being silent is helpful towards that end. Luke 6. Yeah, 12, 13, yep, yep. Yep, so uh, to seek the will of the Lord, to, to, there's certain times, there's certain events in our lives that uh, Lord Jesus here patterns that there's a decision to be made, there's an event, there's something happening that we're going to go and seek the Lord for this thing. And most often that's going to happen in the context of silence and solitude in our individual lives. Um, I was talking uh, earlier this week, I was, I was teaching at Youth Night, I was talking to uh, a student talk, thinking about college decisions how they're approaching it and they're talking about stepping away from the busyness of their life to actually spend some focused time with the Lord to to lay things at his feet and I was reminded of this that exact thing to seek the will of the Lord in our life to be intentional about that it's a really good thing so uh, and then the last one we, uh, quickly James 126 we're not gonna turn there but to learn the control of the tongue um, and I think this actually weaves in through a lot of it of being silent before the Lord talk less we heard earlier um, listen more. Um, I think it's a really good thing. This is one that honestly has been helpful as we speak to our children just about the power of the tongue um, and the, to control the tongue, to be quiet in the midst of even emotions that are rising is a really helpful practice. Um, so, so these are just some reasons, some biblical um, ideas. There's many more. There's probably tons more that you're thinking of. Uh, many of these cross over and, and conflate. We're not trying to separate these out into a methodical plan of you do this, 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 and you get this. Just trying to give you an ecosystem, if you will, of ideas that would help uh, energize you towards silence and solitude. To that end, I would love to take, uh, just going back into the same groups, uh, just for a couple minutes here, and I'd love to think through what are some practical ideas to pursue this. It's great in the abstract. It's great like, yeah, we need time alone. Sounds good, Cody. I can't do that. 
let's get creative, let's learn from one another, let's think through some practical ideas how to make this happen, and then we'll end our time together. So get, break up into those groups, what are some practical ideas to pursue silence and solitude? Two minutes. All right, let's bring it back together. Bring it back together. Practical ideas. You know, this is what's so beautiful. One of the things that's so beautiful about the, the church is we get to like 
huddle up and be like, how do you do this? How do you make this happen? Help me make this happen. And this is, so it's just it's super encouraging to hear everyone, all the chitter chatter. And so anyways, ideas. Let's go ahead and talk about Yep, James. There's some good ideas that did not come from me. Uh, <laughs> one is uh, actually schedule it, like put it on your calendar. Other yep. meetings you say are important, you put them on your calendar. It should be the same or more so yep. with God. Yep. Um, and then just resting on the Lord's Day. You know, it's good mm-hmm. Lord's Day to spend time with the church, but it's also good to rest and um, be in silence and solitude. And then finally, this was a good one, especially for us with kids, but couples protecting each other's time in silence and solitude. So I'm going to handle the kids. No, don't go see Daddy. Don't go see Mommy right now. She's uh, with God, those sorts of things. Um, but just yeah, being intentional about protecting that time. Yep, that's good. Might be, want to be careful with that term. He's with God, you know, yes. <laughs> with the kiddos. But I totally know what you're saying on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Super helpful. <laughs> uh, who else? Right there. Yeah, Josh. One more. Who else? One more. I know there's one good one out there. Yeah. We talked about how it's not necessarily physically being still, mm. but pursuing that silence could be yeah. going for a walk, or or maybe even having your Bible open before you and meditating on or memorizing Scripture mm. help you think silently but intentionally about. Scripture. Yep, that's great. Fantastic. All great ideas. I would encourage you to keep thinking about this. Maybe even after, after church, after you think about the sermon, talk through the sermon. What are some ideas how we can apply that and, and pursue that in silence and solitude? Real quickly, the last uh, practical ideas I wrote down there, you guys hit on these. Set a goal. I think it's helpful to think of this in short and long term. So thinking of uh, what can we do daily? What can I do daily? 15 minutes, 10 minutes a day, wh- whatever that is. Thinking through that. Also, maybe an hour a week or a morning or evening each month and then keeping going out further, maybe a whole day each year and thinking through how do I coordinate that with my family and with, with my responsibilities, but planning and setting the goal. Plan ahead. We hit on that well. Um, don't be constrained by time. So don't worry if your time's cut short or expectations don't get met. Um, sometimes we have this elusive idea that this is going to be some amazing experience and sometimes... You just go there and it's not that if we're just being real. That's okay. <laughs> don't, don't let that impact the next time that you do that as well. Work with others, husbands. You can definitely love your wives by helping them do this. Um, I know for my wife, it's often just on, 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 on. And I'll just keep going without remembering that. So how do we, how do we love them well to do that? Um, wives encouraging the husbands that are working all the time and working hard to, to take this time as well friends helping each other um yeah so i think we've hit on all of that but let me let me pray i'll stay around for questions or anyone wants to chat but let everyone go get their kids and get ready for church so let me pray oh father we thank you that you welcome us into your presence we thank you that we have christ we have our high priest who has gone before us who even in this moment is interceding for us lord we thank you for grace Lord, we thank you that we have a 
all these disciplines, these ways that we get to pursue you, these ordinary means of grace. Lord, would you help us um, to not find our hope in those things, but to find our hope in you through those things, Father, and uh, help us to be creative, to be a people who encourage one another, help one another, um, to, to pursue you well. And for those that, are, that are, might be struggling with silence and it's becoming overwhelming, Lord, would you help them to, to reach out and to, to get some help from others in, in how to do this well? So, Lord, we thank you for this time. Ask that you would now prepare our hearts uh, to worship you rightly, to receive your word, and to encourage the saints. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.